listening and have a dope day. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app.
Okay, good morning and welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and joining us today is the co-host, Claire Van Winkle of Rockaway Writers Workshop. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, our featured guest is Tejas Desai, who is, uh, I'll give a quick intro to Tejas. He was born and raised in uh, New York City, where he works as supervising librarian. He's a graduate of Wellesley University and holds an MFA in creative writing and literary translation from CUNY Queens College. He's the author of the international crime series, The Brotherhood Chronicle, and the Human Tragedy Literary Series. In 2012, he founded the New Way Literary Movement, which seeks to promote provocative and meaningful narrative artists. His articles on uh, literature have been published in the Huffington Post and uh, other publications. Welcome, welcome, Tejas. Thank you for having me on, Vijay, again. Yeah, this is a return guest. So <laughs> about a year ago, we had you on uh, on uh, Choose the Power Show, and people can find out that interview on choosethepowershow.podomatic.com or iTunes and Spotify. But today we'll be talking about the sixth anniversary release of The Brotherhood, which just comes out this weekend. So if you talk a little bit about that and the, the process of re-releasing it and these kinds of things. Uh, yeah, so um, since I was last on, uh, I've gone through the motions of putting out the, um, the, first, uh, the first volume of The Brotherhood again, um, this time with a lot of additional features, the preface from me about the evolution of The Brotherhood, um, and uh, uh, an introduction by another uh, independent author who's also copied of the book, uh, as well as many additional features, including a list of, list of characters, um, a study guide, trivia questions, uh, and a peek at the next volume, which I hope will be out in about in exactly one year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you start out the uh, the um, book with a, a quote from the Bhagavad Gita. If you talk a bit about mm-hmm. what brought you to that quote and how that informs the novel. And can we get the quote? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's uh, from Bhagavad On seeing you with your form touching the sky, flaming in many colors, with mouths wide open, with large fiery eyes, I'm terrified at heart, and can I, and find neither courage nor peace, O Vishnu. Arjuna to Krishna on the Bhagavad Gita. I know that's a lot of time used mm-hmm. in regards to the atomic bomb, right? I think there's a, that uh, he sees the many forms. Or, mm-hmm. like the, I know one of the quotes from when he sees his many forms is used in, in regards to one of the power and majesty of the, well, I think Oppenheimer says, yeah, from the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's that quote exactly, but uh-huh. he did. Yeah, he, that was kind of something that I wanted to convey. Can yeah. I just ask, because I unfortunately did not hear your last interview because I didn't know about this show a year ago. <laughs> um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about the Brotherhood series, like yeah. giving us just a little background so that moving forward, I mean, you talked about new characters and things, but mm-hmm. I want to know more about what it's all about. Sure. Uh, so it's a crime thriller. It's a mystery and a thriller in one. Um, it's, uh, about a, uh, a, basically a struggle, a failed writer who's like, kind of lived in this, this like life of dissipation in Brooklyn. Um, he never went to college. Um, and he's kind of like very frustrated with his life and he moves back to Queens with his parents and kind of rejoins this Hindu uh, organization. Uh, and immediately, uh, the organization, the organization and the community is hit with this tragedy where one of their members, uh, dies. She's a college student at NYU. And she uh, falls out of her dorm building at, at NYU Union Square. Was that inspired mm-hmm. by the actual suicides that happened? Sorry, uh, I just, I was in NYU. Okay, go on. Yeah, right, right. So I was yeah, just wondering, that was like a yes happened, or no. But, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it, there, it, yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff is inspired by things that actually mm-hmm. happen either to me or to other people um, or generally speaking. So, you know, it's very vivid. It's like, it, you really feel like you're there. Um, but in any case... 
So that's the basic story is based on this murder mystery. Who, whether she killed herself, whether it was a murder, and 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 you know the the different characters who are involved in this world and and, and what kind of went on behind it. And you get involved in the world of Hindu religious organizations. You get involved in the world of finance. Um, you know, it's, it's set right after the crash um, in the Great Recession. Um, and so you got you have a character who's like a rich financier who actually benefited from the crash. Uh, and so we get a lot of stuff about that. Um, and a lot of, uh, you know, kind of, like, lack of a better term, working class characters. And so we get a lot of different worlds, um, different classes, socioeconomic groups um, that are, like, you know, portrayed in this book. But it's a murder mystery. And that, and the plot goes uh, at a breathtaking pace um, to, to solve this mystery. Okay, so now that yeah. quote, because that quote was awesome. And I didn't, I'm sorry to have cut you off, but this um, extremely complex quote that uh, Vijay asked about, if you would mind getting back on that track. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, one of the, you know, one of the things that it, it conveys is, you know, the, the, the awesome power of life when you, when you confront it and how, you know, it can be exciting, but it could also be terrifying. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that you know, here, like a lot of people think about Hinduism and, and think about meditation and peace, and that's definitely a strong part of it. But, you know, if you look, if you read the epics, uh, the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, mm. a lot of it is about confronting life directly. And it's very, you know, it's very much about, very political. It's very much about, um, you know, uh, how to live your life uh, involved in society, not just removed from it. And so that's kind of what the quote conveys um, to kind of change things up in a sense of how Hinduism kind of portrayed and, and looked at. Yeah, it seems like there's a real tension in the Eastern religions about um, how to, you know, the idea of the aesthetic ideal and going out to the mountains and meditating and such and being in the world being awake mm-hmm. in the world as tricycle's uh uh motto is i believe uh, awaking the world mm-hmm. so being awake in the world being part of society being part of the community and uh you know it's great to see that this book is set entirely in queens so we have a new york city representation and as well as uh dealing a lot with the indian uh communities there so uh we we talked a little bit before about how noir epics are not always um conventionally said with Indian uh, communities and that now there's, we're starting to see in uh, Western world, you know, a connection with the uh, East Asian, but now South Asian is starting to, you're starting to represent the South Asian communities. In, right. In exactly. Noir, yeah. I mean, as I was saying, I think in the last interview that I was really inspired by a lot of uh, Asian American uh, noir authors that kind of came about in the nineties for the most part. Um, you know, Chang Ray Lee, native speaker, uh, uh, Leonard Chang, Henry Chang, um, Sui Kim in the early 2000s, uh, but they are mainly Chinese and Korean American, um, and so I'm really trying to go towards the Indian American uh, aesthetic. And um, you know, there there is there is mystery noir kind of like set in India, you know, now coming out more, mm-hmm. um, but it's really not it doesn't really represent the Indian American experience as much. And so that's what this book deals with. And then the second and third books actually go international, um, and so just in Thailand and India, kind of these characters kind of going back. To it's kind of their roots, quote unquote, but also finding you know this uh, crime and corruption there as well, and um, and the second and third books are set in multiple settings, um, and so it really becomes more of an epic um, in those books. Did you intend to have a series when you started out with the Brotherhood? Yes, I definitely did. Um, I definitely I initially uh, thought of it as a trilogy. It is going to be a trilogy. The, the three books hopefully will come out within the year spurts. Mm-hmm. But I do plan to continue it as well. I, I see it as a as a continuous chronicle, as I now call it. Um, so yeah, the the original plan was to at least have a trilogy, um, and, and now it seems to be just, it, will, it will go beyond that. Um, but yes, when I first wrote the book, 
uh, it came when it came out in 2012, I pitched it as the first book in the trilogy. Okay. And do you find that as a writer, you approach um, serial work, serial long work in a different way than if you're doing a single novel meant to be a single novel? And if so, how does that affect your planning and um, preparation hmm. stage? How do you kick that off? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a, a serial, a serial series, I guess, serial mm-hmm. series, <laughs> um, is, uh, is, is, I guess, more of a commercial entity than, I guess, a literary book or one shot, you know? Um, so you certainly have to stick in those commercial terms. I, I was, in my last interview when I was talking to VJ, um, I think I talked about how I kind of went from being a literary writer to a more commercial writer. When I was in my MFA program, which I think you attended yep. as well. Uh, Go Queens College. <laughs> yeah. um, I was Yay. initially, you know, I, I wanted to write noir, but I wanted to write in a more literary way, um, kind of like Chang Ray Lee, I suppose. Um, and so I was going towards that. But as I started to rewrite it and I started going through agents and all that stuff, I, it started becoming more commercial. And and now the way the series is written, at least, is very commercial. Like it's very fast-paced, um, you know, as, as minimal dialogue, as uh, tight structuring. Um, but uh, it still has those powerful uh, themes within it and, you know, complex characters. Uh, when I approach the series, I mean, you know, yeah, I am looking, you know, both uh, at the uh, at the book level, but I'm also looking at the at the longer level. And I'm not sure there's a, really a formula for me. Like nowadays, I just kind of do it, you know, but it took me a long time to get that um, the ability, I guess, to do it, writing and rewriting for many years. So I thought maybe I'll give you back some of your uh, trivia questions. Uh, so some of them are Uh-oh. pretty good, and we can kind of discuss uh, some of these questions that they prompt. So what is the literary inspiration for the title and organization in the Brotherhood? Right. So I read about this in my in the preface of the new book. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, when I was in, um, well, when I was in college, I wrote uh, the first kind of version of it, which was completely different. It was a short story collection, uh, also called the Brotherhood. And it was based on these Hindu-American uh, characters uh, in this organization. Um, and I had based that actually on uh, a book that I loved in high school, when I read in high school, which was The Invisible Man uh, by Ralph Ellison, which has a, the communist organization in that book is called The Brotherhood as well. Um, and so I wanted to kind of, again, it's, it's always, to me, it's always this kind of like balance between individual and community. And that's kind of what I want to portray that tension. Um, and, uh, and, uh, that's what's portrayed, um, in, in Invisible Man as well. Um, you know, this time, though, with the African American experience and, and with this, uh, communist organization. Um, and that's, that's why, that's what really inspired, uh, that title, um, and that, that name for the organization as well. Very good. And, uh, talking about your influences, literary influences, um, what are your favorite authors and, uh, who has influenced this book uh, particularly? Was what? Yeah, I mean, you know, mostly, as I said, I am inspired by the Asian American noir writers and as well as the noir writers of the past, Elmore Leonard, um, Jim Thompson, David Godas, people like that. But, um, you know, my all-time influences are definitely classic authors and that's William Faulkner, that's Balzac, that's um, uh, uh, Dostoevsky. Those kind of, those writers kind of went into like, uh, complex uh, psychological profiles and uh, dark subjects, but you know who also convey their societies, and that's kind of what I try to do, both in this chronicle and also in the human tragedy series, which is uh, the other series I'm writing. Well, so let me ask: um, when you were talking about the process of writing uh, a serial collection of novels, you mm-hmm. you use the word commercial a lot as opposed to literary, <laughs> and uh, I kind of get yeah, what you're saying. That's a little bit, yeah. Go but ahead, yeah. but what I what I'm wondering is: it can we have both. Is mm-hmm. there a way to take, <laughs> is there a way to maybe expect more? Because I, I 
feel that a lot of the bestsellers don't really expect a lot from the readers, mm. but that maybe people are actually more open to that. Maybe we can mm -hmm. challenge them. Can we have both literary and commercial? Will anyone buy it? I wish that was the case. <laughs> I hope that's or the how case. Or can, how can that's we as I, writers kind yeah, of push I mean, with that? You know, like that when I was pitching the book, I was, you know, a lot of agents were telling me the, the chapters should be one page or two pages, oh, you no. know, oh, have, yeah. have to be. And oh yeah, and the Indian American guy has to be a doctor, you know. You what know? are all these no words doing in the book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean one of the things one of the reasons even the way it is now, um, really kind of commercial, I guess, commercialized, um, you know, that it is kind of off putting, I guess, to, to agents and to some a lot of white quote unquote white readers is that uh, it kind of, st kind of starts off with these Indian terms, for example, and people talking uh in these like Indian slang terms. Uh, you know, one chapter you get that, you know, and then the next chapter you have like Nero meeting his like ghetto, like Korean American gangster friend, you know, and they're yeah. talking in like slang in Queens slang, more or less. Um, so you have all these different things kind of going on. And, you know, a lot of people who don't want to be challenged in that way, you know, will be put off by that. But hopefully there are people who aren't, you know, mm -hmm. who are willing to engage with. Uh, different cultures, different ways of thinking and speaking, and that's what this series does. It, especially in the second and third books, we get Thai slang and, and culture. We get Australian slang. We get a lot of different things internationally, and a lot of different people—people people who dif think differently and act differently, uh, depending on culture. And um, you know, uh, hopefully, this will. I, I hope this series does well because I hope you know it can it can kind of spur this kind of uh, you know. Uh, uh, a way that literary, uh, whatever you want to call literary and commercial, can be can be married, and do it does do that in a sense. Yeah. Do you, when marketing this book, do you use that opp opportunity for learning and engaging with other cultures as something that you can just challenge your readers to embrace from the beginning, or do you sort of put it out there and uh, hope that your those readers who are interested will discover it for themselves? Um, do you mean that when I market it, do I, do I, when you market pitch? it, do mm -hmm. you, do you, uh, talk about these hopes of mm -hmm. making people, uh, more familiar with cultures that mm -hmm. they wouldn't normally come in contact with, um, by, I suppose, immersion is mm -hmm. what you're doing by using these terms and, right. um, mm -hmm. having your readers learn in context or observe in context the same way that they would if they were living and experiencing these people. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, do you use that as, cause for me, that would be a big draw for reading a book. Yeah. Definitely the yeah. multicultural angle is mm -hmm. something that people are starving for. You know, they want to be able to experience different, uh, readers at least, maybe not publishers, but, you know, publishers seem to be a yeah, bit well, yeah, uh, think, more conservative. Yeah. But the readers, I think, out there, we have a lot of move towards multicultural mm -hmm. literature, uh, being able to have a dialogue with different cultures and such. So, yeah, that's, that's what I hope. I mean, that's why you know when I when I even when I this this round, I guess that you know I, even <laughs> even I tried to do it conventionally, like at least I tr you know made an attempt, but. You know, it's been, uh, for, you know, one agent got it and it's been sitting in his closet for like nine months. I mean, he still hasn't read it, you know, mm. uh, and, and other people, even multi, even like, like uh, Asian American agents, you know, just rejected the book. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I, I'm hoping that bringing it directly to readers uh, through self-publishing uh, will, 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 will make, make this uh, more likely to be successful. Um, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, when I, in the beginning, you know, I, I, I the cover, the begin, for them, the, the book, the book cover of the first edition in 2012 has Indian American characters on it, it has a black character on it, they're, they're on the cover. 
um and uh you know that so i was really pitching it as a multicultural book yeah uh but the new one is a little bit more universal i suppose um you know trying to get a more universal audience i don't know uh what the right answer is to that i i i've done talks um you know at, at universities at libraries all kinds of places about the need to increase not only multiculturalism but a diversity within multicultural literature you know i mean publishers do publish multicultural literature but it has to be a certain way um mm. and uh you know in order to within that even uh, making uh, it more diverse um you know it's important to me so i have pictured it that way um you know i think there are different, a lot of different angles though in terms of getting more people involved in it yeah speaking of which so let's talk a little bit about the new way and how you want to get writers on board for this literary movement and how's that been going and how is uh what is your vision for this literary movement yeah i mean you know i i i i not only want to uh to promote uh, multicultural works but also kind of writers who are you know have uh you know, something to say you know fiction writers who have uh or are delving into complex or controversial topics characters uh and ways of thinking and being um i know you know like uh for example, our uh, your friend Ellen Abidana, who wrote The Other Son. Um, you know, it's not a huge bestseller or anything, but it's a fascinating book. It's it's mm-hmm. interesting to read, and it, it deals with uh, Christian, Islamic, uh, and Jewish uh, you know things uh, issues um, as in a way that that's very interesting, um, and uh, you know uh, things like that, which you know books like that, which aren't in the mainstream, but nevertheless have fascinating topics and are, you know, and really need to need people need to more, know more about it. You know? Yeah. In the beginning of your book, you have five books, uh, listed as independent authors and blogs recommended by the new way, including, uh, including my own poetry collection. Thank you. Uh, no I'm sorry. Yeah. And I also, uh, gave a quick blurb for, uh, the brotherhood, uh, which I thought was good. I, I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Um, so yeah. So talk a little bit about kind of a little bit more about the other writers that catch your eye and what kinds of, uh, you know how you're able to find them and such, and sure. I mean, one the one of the one of the the uh, writers I recommend um, in my book uh, is uh, is Brianne Walsh, who is a blogger. I mean, she doesn't write novels, she doesn't write poems, she writes a blog, and it's the best blog that I've ever seen uh, that I've ever read. Um, it she you know she's a more or less upper middle class white girl living in Brooklyn, um, but she writes about all types of different things. She writes about her life. She writes about um, politics. She writes about um, you know books, book reviews, and all kinds of things. And if you read her blog, um, you'll you'll be blown away. I mean, this is this is the best blog on earth in my in, that I've encountered anyway. And you know, and she and she writes that for free. She actually uh, makes a living out of writing. She she writes for art magazines and all kinds of things. Um, but it's the blog that that really like uh, it's really provocative and, and fascinating. Um, and so that's the kind of a writer that, you know, people don't really know about as, as much, um, but they should know. Um, and it, you know, the, the, the be- some of the best writers aren't writing in the conventional way. They're, they're blogging, they're doing lots of different things. They're writing on social media. Um, they're, they're great artists in their own right. Um, so that's one example. Um, you know, Alan's another one with, with his book. Um, you know, I, I even pitched Casper Jarecki who, you know, had, he, he's an absurdist. I mean, he writes, books that you know in a conventional way might books and movies you know in a conventional way might might you might think are are horrible in a certain sense yeah but you know what that's exactly why he's so interesting and fascinating um so you know i mean it's really the the people who catch uh my eye and and really should catch more people's eyes and really and really can kind of convey this 
uh, philosophy of life that they, whatever it is that they have. So let's segue into the um, human tragedy and uh, the um, short story collections that you're writing. Uh, the first of which was Good Americans, um, and talk a little bit about kind of the uh, maybe a little bit of the interplay between the two, if there's any interplay, or and how these two uh, literary series uh, stand. Can, yeah. can I ask yeah. a very clear question first uh-huh. to kind of lead into this? Because I yeah. think it would be a good introduction. So we're talking about, and, and you mentioned blo- uh, bloggers and atypical writing, but obviously we've been talking a lot about fiction. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, a lot of my young, eager students say, but how can we learn about the real world by reading made-up characters? Yeah. And my most recent uh prompt for my students, which I haven't read yet. I'm very excited to see what their responses are, um, was how can we sometimes learn more from a story that isn't quote unquote true? So mm-hmm. what, in your opinion, obviously you write fiction, so you must have <laughs> some some sort of uh, reflection on this. Um, in what way can we, can you as an author or we as readers find fiction powerful, maybe even more so than just observing and writing about fact uh well you know i i write very realistic fiction because i kind of want to get out things that you couldn't you can you couldn't um you can kind of convey in nonfiction as well i mean things that are are either more controversial or more i don't know um i don't know how to say it really but the reason I write, like, you know, I don't write really straight. I mean, I, I do write, you know, on my social media, you know, my own experiences and going out and, you know, I travel a lot, for example, worldwide. Um, but in my books, I really try to get to the nitty gritty. And that's a lot of this stuff is stuff that people have told me um, or, or derived from other things. But uh, I, I think I can really get into uh, the stuff that you can't say more or less or can, you can't kind of convey in, in, in conventional discourse uh, through fiction. The names have been changed to protect the innocent <laughs> yeah. or not so innocent. So a little bit of yeah. license then to take yeah, what you know. And For me, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that everyone's like that, but that's the reason why I write fiction uh, versus nonfiction. Um, but, it, 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 you know, again, it's, it's very vivid. And you feel like you're there and it really feels like real life when you're reading my books. Um, but it's, you know, uh, it, but it is fiction. But mm-hmm. you can get at reality in a sense even more uh, distinctly that way than than by writing nonfiction in many uh, cases. I believe you had those that principle from was it Faulkner who uh, the three um, right, items yeah. that, that I, I talk, actually yeah. used in my interview as well. Really? I, kind of, <laughs> I took that on when I went on to Bushwick Junction. Mm-hmm. I took that on. I remembered it. Uh, it was uh, experience, observation, and imagination. Was that right? The three yeah. uh, principles of writing. Yeah, right. So uh, you're always building off. Of course, we're always mm-hmm. building off experiences, but being able to add in that imaginative element, right? right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's never a clear formula, you know. It's Yeah, right. So he said experience, uh, observation, and imagination yeah. are the three critical things in fiction. But there's no set formula, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've written some of the best things from straight imagination, that I've ever written from straight imagination. Mm. But there's always that realistic element that's derived from something that's real or, or you know, a person that I met or, or a story that I was told or... You know, um, and, 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 you know, like a lot of stories, for example, in my Earth Story collection, Good Americans are. Good. Let's try. Let's get back to that. Let's segue back to what BJ was asking Good Americans, the short stories, how they interplay with your other work, and Mm -hmm. let's go there. Let's go there. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, the Brotherhood 
Chronicle is more based on like the Hindu Buddhist stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has a lot of that philosophical stuff, and it has you know all this gritty stuff as well. But Good Americans really kind of it goes into a lot of other um, kind of more is more American central. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, it's more Queen central. They're not all set in Queens, but a lot of them are. And and, and this is the best place to kind of explore um, the human condition because we have such a large diversity uh, in New York City generally, but specifically and especially in Queens. Um, you know, we have the high, we have the low, um, we have all kinds of socioeconomic classes and people with different points of view that are interacting. And so there's this conflict of worlds in almost every single story, uh, people from different walks of life who kind of collide. Um, and, and that's, that's really what kind of fuels the series, um, in Good Americans and in the sequel to come. Good, good. And, uh, the, uh, just to clarify for the, for the listeners, Good Americans will be part first of a series of short story collections, right? And then you'll be having a, a series of short story collections in yeah, regards to exactly, human tragedy. Yeah. yeah, And the human tragedy comes from, it was actually inspired by, I believe, another literary series. Can you talk a little bit well, about Well, I mean, it's, it's yeah. inspired by Balzac's The Human Comedy, yeah. uh, which is, you know, his like, kind of magnum, magnum opus, more or less, mm. of his hundred novels or whatever. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm not going to be able to write 100 novels, especially with the day job. Oh, I don't yeah. know. You're, you're having a pretty good start, it yeah. seems. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, if I can make a living off of books, I guess that will be possible, probably. But, uh, of wishes for fishes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm writing as much as possible and getting as much stuff out as possible. The publishing process is itself, you know, uh, a, a time burden. Um, but, uh, you know, I definitely have enough material for my lifetime right now, um, you know, in terms of my experience, my observation, and my imagination. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, Good Americans is, has gotten great reviews from Kirkus, from all kinds of reviewers, a perfect rating on Amazon. Um, you know, it's it's really a powerhouse of a short story collection, and hope you'll check it out. And the sequel, I hope, is going to be even better. You know, every, every book that comes out, I think, that I'm writing is better than the last. So, um, so yeah. let's talk about the, the interview uh, actually started with the song New Skin, which you'd selected... Um, to introduce the 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 interview uh i've talked about music and how that's kind of influenced you and what was the thinking behind selecting new skin and and either we have no, we're gonna play at the end another uh, song do we, do we get selected. a song from yeah, we, this is we, about the time when our guest sings a song right yeah <laughs> do i have to sing a song no, <laughs> no i'm joking because we've had musicians on the last two weeks i, did, so. I just did karaoke a couple of days ago so, uh, hey that might, could be yeah. fun yeah <laughs> we uh, we actually i like i had him select three songs okay uh, that I was going to play. I played the first one being New Skin, and then uh, we'll close out with uh, an Elton John song, so people mm. should uh, tune in to stage to the end to find out what that's going to be, but uh, talk a little bit about music and stuff. Yeah, music. Yeah, well, New Skin specifically, uh, it's actually the, 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 the song that plays at the end of the film Showgirls uh-huh. uh, in 1995, <laughs> um, which, <laughs> you know, is a flawed film, to say the least, but nevertheless, it's an interesting film. Uh, but you know that's how I that's how I knew about the song and you know sushi and the banshees. Um, but it's it's really like a, a pretty subversive and you know provocative confrontational song. Uh, that's why I selected it. Um, but um, you know a lot of the stuff coming out in in that period in, in the eighties and nineties were like that, and and we still get stuff like that today. But it's more like it's just on the vulgar front rather than on any real like social subversion or anything like that. Do any of the lyrics um, from any of the songs that you've chosen for today stand out to you particularly in terms of artistry or message? Uh, Sorry, putting you uh, out. Where are the lyrics? Yeah, Yeah, just if Um, off the top of your head. And more broadly speaking, in music, when you're listening, you know, 
Uh, yeah. Like things that really stand out to you or anything that comes out to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, this song, for example, you know, she talks about taking out the trash. And <laughs> I mean, I really want to, you know, kind of bring about, you know, this kind of revival of, uh, of powerful, controversial literature that has, you know, powerful content and, you know, writers with, 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 who, have, who have strong, um, strong content, something to say. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not what I see right now for the most part, coming out of the major publishing industry anyway. Um, and so that's really kind of what, what, uh, inspires me in that song. Um, I think later on you're going to, you're going to play something also from, which I don't even know the name of the actual music, but it's yeah. from the end of One False Move, which one of the best, um, uh, crime noir films in the nineties, which has mostly been forgotten today. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the film that really blew me away when I first saw it. Um, and the and the music from that film is really powerful as well, uh, and really kind of speaks to my aesthetic too. So I'll, I'll ask one of the questions in our pre-interview questions about the schools and thought and philosophies. You just talked a little bit about, um, you know, uh, how of course you're you grew up, I guess, in Hindu background, and uh, you know, um, but if you talk a little bit about the uh, way in which you interpret Hinduism, we, we in the beginning you were talking about being involved in the world and such mm -hmm. and these kinds of things. But uh, you were saying you're agnostic Hindu. We've talked a little bit about being that and how uh, that kind of informs your work, Hindu and Buddhism and such like that. Hinduism well, yeah, Buddhism. I mean, I've, I've mostly been an agnostic most of my life because there's no way to know anything for sure. You know, yeah. uh, you always have to be questioning. You always have to be skeptical. Um, but, you know, let's face it. I mean, Hinduism has influenced me a lot because I grew up in a, a religious family and, mm. you know, a religious community. Um, and so it definitely did influence me a lot. And, um, you know, it, again, it's always been the tension between the individual and community. You're, you're, you're within a society, living within a society, you're involved in that unless you're, you know, meditating on a mountain or something, you know, yeah. and, and th there is that aspect that's conveyed also in, in, in the book and, and especially in the second and third books, uh, whether you should be involved in society or remove yourself from it. Mm. Um, you know, and, uh, but, but inevitably the characters are involved and how are they involved? Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, there's a tension to me between Hinduism and Buddhism in the sense that in Buddhism, there's more of, uh, I guess, I, I guess, I think my parents would say that it's more negative. I'm not sure if I agree with mm. that, but nevertheless, there's a kind of an inversion of, you know, like, like in Hinduism, you kind of look uh, at kind of like, Going up, you know, like kind of like going up, uh, kind of yes, I think actualizing yourself, I guess. Actualizing, it's yeah. about actualizing yourself in a certain yeah. sense. What well, we would, what we would call it that, uh, but going up towards that spiritual ladder, towards spirituality. But within that, there's this ladder uh, of you know of pleasure when you're young, and when you know getting you know creating, getting a family and and, and getting um, you know. Uh, money and and you know when you're when you're within the middle age and then you know being involved in duty and then finally you know going toward spirituality. Whereas you know I think uh, in certain Buddhist traditions you kind of with that in the beginning that you you know you know like Siddhartha you know he removed himself from society because yeah. he couldn't stand the pain of it you know the suffering. Yeah, um, I mean I think that definitely like both of us being you know sons of immigrants from India, having born and raised in New York City. We've had very, uh, you know, divergent in some ways uh, experiences growing up. Uh, growing up in Queens, I grew up in Staten Island, uh, and my parents were pretty, like, kind of a little loose, looser with their religious interpretation, and they were followers of Satisai Baba, who was a guru in India for a long time, and they had a very kind of, uh, 
not so strict or not so traditional interpretation of things. Mm-hmm. So I think also also this has to do with how these religious traditions are presented to you, what kind of organization yeah, that's are, true because, or how yeah. they're, yeah, it's not even the, it's not even the religion mm-hmm. themselves because when you mm-hmm. go back to the Vedas and such, yeah. it's almost a completely different territory, you know, than yeah, the not. way it's taught or disseminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, you can go to the example of, you know, when we were in Korea, we went to yeah. that, um, the, uh, uh, the retreat. And this, this was like a militant type of Buddhism that yeah. we were learning. We were actually learning martial arts, um, and practicing martial arts. Very physical, very, yeah, physical, very yeah. physical. And they, you know, Buddhism was the tool that they used to protect the country. Yeah. To protect Korea from the invaders, um, you know, for, for, for like a hundred thousand years. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, and so, you know, like it's not like, you know, Buddhism was always, you know, about mm. removing oneself either. There's also that social component. And, you know, in Thailand, for example, um, which I write about, you know, I mean, Buddhism is a very big part of the social component. So, um, I don't know. It's always this tension and, but it's always this tension between, uh, spirit, you know, like, like the individual kind of trying to achieve whatever their goal is, whether it's materialistic, whether it's spiritual or whether it's something else, and then being involved in this greater social setting and what are your responsibilities or lack thereof within that sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that once we get an idea of what's, um, also, in response to in society, what's what we're moving away from, we're moving towards, and how to be a socially responsible person to be able to guide the community. Uh, you know, in in Buddhism, they have the the Dharma, the Buddha, and the Sangha, the community. Mm. So the community is definitely part of it. But I understand what you're saying in in many sense in the the way it's sometimes disseminated in certain areas. It's like it's all about meditation, and that can seem or be perceived as being and that's the same thing different. In, yeah, yeah, Hinduism as well. Yeah, exactly. Really yeah. Perceived that way, and that's a, definitely a large part of it. That's what I guess some people perceive that that's lacking in, say, Western culture. Yeah. You know that that spiritual or element, I guess. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it is you know it's pretty pretty popular here too in a certain class. Can I ask um, <clears throat> how these different schools of thought like translate to your day to day or whether it's in practice or just in mindset? I mean, aside from showing up and influencing your writing and your characters, mm-hmm. how does it affect you, the person? Well, I mean, I, uh, you know, I mean, I, ha- I have a social role, not just as a writer, but I mean, I'm a librarian, for example. I work you know, 35 hours a week yeah. um, in the library. And now I mean, I'm an assistant manager at Corona Library, uh, which is fairly challenging in the sense that it's, you know, a, an underserved and overpopulated community um and uh you know uh i don't necessarily enjoy every aspect of what i do but i i feel compelled in my social duty to do what i need to do to serve um the people of of of, of corona and and of the community so um you know i mean it, it, but there's always this tension then also with with what i want to do with my writing um, I mean, to some extent, it contributes to my writing because I'm involved in it, and I, you know, I I I I, I observe society that way. Um, but you know, I I also have outside of that that I do my writing and my publishing and all that stuff, um, and that's a, you know a different a different trajectory. So um, I don't yeah. know it, that itself is a, this tension between individual and community. I think yeah, our sense of duty I think is very important, and being able to understand that we have to. Um, yeah, talk a little bit more about duty and such and how uh, in the Hindu tradition they have the sense of dharma, they call mm-hmm. it. You know, the sense of right, righteous action and being able to perform um, righteous action and such and uh, and a little bit of the values that drive you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, yeah, yeah there's, there's this 
sense of you know, what is your duty? Like, is it the is it your duty to do what society tells you necessarily, or what you should do? You know, I mean, my parents said I should be a doctor. I'm, I, you know, I feel inside me that I should. That I'm a writer. You know, yeah. um, you know, and or you know, so I, 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 I you know, you, you you feel what what is within you, and you and you act on that duty. Um, but there's always a tension between what people think you should be doing or want you to do and what you really feel. So it's never such a straight thing. Um, but yeah, you know, we, I have a strong sense of duty. Maybe I'm not sure if it's just the way I am or, you know, if it was instilled in me, uh, through my upbringing and, and, and the religion that I'm from. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a strong, it's a strong, uh, catalyst, uh, for me. But in my, in, in my sense, it's, it's, you know, it's writing my series as being involved in the community as a librarian. And, you know, that all kind of goes in with it. Um, so one thing uh, in one of the preview questions, we talked about a story of something that happened to you that has taught you the most important life lesson you've received to this point. And you mentioned a little bit about an uh, experience you had in your childhood. So uh, if you talk a little bit about that, or I'm not sure actually what age it was, but if you talk a little bit about kind of how that was an influencing factor, uh, the fire, I believe, uh, if you could talk a little bit about, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, when I was, uh, uh, I, I was finishing up my MLS, um, and I had just quit my, I quit my job in publishing. I used to work for a literary agent. How um, old were you about at this time? This is, I was like 25. Oh, 25. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, some, yeah. we're, we're still kind of children yeah, when we're yeah, in our twenties, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, trying, I, was, I was, at that time, I was still trying to figure things out. I want, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know how to achieve it in terms of balancing it with a day job and stuff. So I, I started out writing and uh, working in publishing. I got that job uh, through a, a professor I, I I had at Wesleyan, who was a pretty famous prof- uh, writer now. Um, but uh, you know, I, I got that job, and by, I wasn't very happy uh, working at a later agency in terms of balancing that with my writing career. So I, I quit that job and I went to library school. And as I was uh, finishing my degree, uh, I just to do my thesis. Uh, there was a fire in my home and, uh, you know, I had to basically relocate and I lived with my uncle's two cats basically in his yeah. basement and I was writing the, my dissertate, my, you know, my thesis for the MLS, uh, as I was doing this. And, um, you know, it was, it was just, uh, kind of, a another, another, you know, block on the road of life, I guess, for me, I did another obstacle, uh, of many, uh, that I faced, um, in order to achieve my goals, um. And, you know, I was able to weather it and, you know, become stronger despite it. And I was able, I, I finished my thesis on time. You know, I got this job at Queens Library. I got into the MFA program at Queens College. Um, and, you know, uh, it was just another thing that, you know, that, that kind of stood in my way, but I nevertheless tackled. No matter what gets in my way, I still move forward. I think it definitely speaks to the ideal of perseverance and the ideal of looking at, obstacles as things that you can overcome and that's something i think that viewpoint or that perspective you know so many people have the perspective that every little thing that goes wrong is just you know like uh they can't overcome it and it becomes a burden but you know seeing that perspective that we're like an obstacle course that Mm -hmm. we're trying to overcome these obstacles and we're persevering towards that one goal or that many goals or that that Mm -hmm. that desire to drive you know yeah Yeah. and i'm not sure i always had it because i one of my teachers, uh, when I was young, who I actually dedicated the book to, uh, she was a tutor of mine uh, in the Kumon program um, when I was younger, and she died of lupus when I was like 16 or so. 
Um, uh, but she really inspired me. And, and she used to tell me actually when I was a little kid, she's like, you have to work on your perseverance. You know? uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I think I worked on it. I, I keep on working on it, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, as I said, I, I, I'm determined to do what I want to do. Um, it's not always a straight course, but it's something that, uh, no matter what gets in my way, I'm going to do it, you know, whether agents or publishers get in my way or they don't want to help me, whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep on doing it myself and, you know, whatever it takes is what it is, you know, is what we'll do. Can you talk a little bit about self-publishing um, and what, I, I mean, I understand the idea of getting into self-publishing if you're trying to get work out there and you're not finding the support from agents, but what exactly is involved in that? And what, at what point did you make the decision to go about it that way? Uh, yeah, so when I was, uh, try after the MFA program, I was, uh, rewriting this book, uh, the first edition of the Brotherhood and I rewrote it literally 20 times. Um, I was changing plots and characters. I was really still learning my aesthetic, but I eventually came upon this version, which is like 75,000 words. And I was shopping it around to agents, um, including some big agents. I won't name who they are, but, um, you know, and, and, and they were getting rid- you know, they were getting rejected or, or maybe, you know, whatever they were not read, whatever it was, they would, you know, number of different things that happened along the way. And eventually I got really frustrated. Um, I rewrote the book, um, into this more commercial entity. And then I actually got an agent for like two days, but, (laughs) but, uh, that that didn't work out either. And then I was like completely like the hell with this. I'm just going to do it myself. Um, and I never even really considered it before that, honestly, um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I did a lot to promote it. I, I, I made a film trailer in my, in my, in my basement. I hired actors. Um, you know, I, I bought the theme music for it. I did how, all this stuff, you know. How, but, uh, I mean, you don't have to get into specifics, mm-hmm. but it seems like that would be really difficult to do, um, from a financial sense. Yeah. How doable <laughs> is it? Like how, I mean, how did you manage to, uh, fund it i guess yeah i mean well for this book the the one that's coming out i did a fundraising campaign um and i i mean i met about half my goal but that was enough to do the basics what i needed to do which was copy editing proofreading cover design um you know a lot of the things i did in the beginning uh, of the first book uh, i didn't really go back to those i kind of learned from my mistakes and i kind of did put the money where i thought it would it would matter and and thankfully, I've been able to build a great team that's not just excellent in what they do, but also reasonable uh, price-wise. So, um, you know, Christine Kelleny, who who wrote uh, the introduction to the book, also copy edited the book. And, you know, I, I, I actually interviewed like 10 copy editors and I picked her. Um, and I think I made a good collection. She was very good um, and even gave developmental critiques in the first book and the second book. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Fina Lee, who does my covers, um, you know, I, I met her online when she was like 18 and now she's in med school and she's really busy and she still works hard for me, you know, doing my covers. Um, you know, Ashley Evans, I found her online also, and she just, my, my proofreader, again, they're great at what they do, but then they're also reasonable. So I've been able to use the money effectively. Um, and, and, and that's just as important as raising money. Um, and, you know, to the extent that, um, you know, I need to you know, use my own money, then, you know, then I have to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've had very generous people who donated um, to this cause. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. 
and and and, and you know and out of respect for them i want to make sure their money is well spent yeah so now uh, just to segue into something else uh in queen's library you're doing a symposium i understand where you're doing a, a monthly program where you're doing um mm-hmm. you're reading over some of the uh classic works such as Nietzsche's uh, Birth of Tragedy, uh, Kierkegaard's Fear and Trembling, and Plato's Symposium. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit about the inspiration for that program and how uh, and how your rereadings or revisitings of these classics has uh, has informed you as a person. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we have a lot of books, lots of books called the Queen's Library, but yeah. they usually don't, you know, delve into such demanding texts. Yeah. Um, and you know, like a lot of people told me that Corona isn't the best place to do that because. Mostly Hispanic community, you know, most of our programs are children's programs and stuff. But I really want to do something you know, kind of in the heart of Queens where we can kind of draw people in from outside, yeah. from all over Queens and even all over New York City uh, to kind of, you know, engage in these texts. Um, a, a lot of these texts are ones that I read uh, when I, I was at Oxford uh, as, a, as a study abroad student. Um, and, uh, you know, they really inspired me and they made me think. Um, and you know, that's what my fiction, I think my fiction does too. It makes people think and, and, and I, so I want to kind of, kind of do, go back into those classics and, and, and engage you know, people, whoever is interested, you know, throughout the city, uh, to come and, 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 and engage in, in them as well. I think um, it's really, really important and special that you are, um, not letting community demographics force you into choosing mm-hmm. stereotypical texts that are predicted to be well received and instead yeah. saying like hey everybody can enjoy and access these i mean i know uh working at cuny um my classrooms are very diverse in terms of socioeconomic background in terms of um ethnic background in terms of everything and my students are constantly surprising me because there there is no stereotype i think mm-hmm. and and when we challenge people and give them information and give them a chance to dig into it, um, they people can be really insightful. They just, I, I feel like our society just doesn't give people a chance. Yeah, I think that also because I worked at Corona Community Library from 2007 to 2009 mm. and a little bit after that. Um, and I think that definitely in the, in the, there's sometimes it's a perception that because of language, there's a lot of language barrier, but uh, you know, they, they're still thriving for interest, uh, at least in my experience. They're very interested in learning, and they're very interested, even the adults are very interested in learning, and they're, they're a lot of them did attend some of my programming, uh, adults and teens and such, that were a little challenging. And I think that there is a reception. Once you put something out there, you build it, mm-hmm. that people will start coming and people will start attending, and, and it, it's yeah. a ripple effect. And working know? through the language. Yeah, I mean, as a translator, language, yeah. too, and as somebody who deals with yeah. multiple language backgrounds, um, I think too often our society confuses language with ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, one of the things I've tried throughout my career is try to do these things like this, which, which, which challenge people and maybe won't be so well received right away, but will build over time. Mm. Um, you know, I did a film series, independent film series, for example, Bay Terrace, which initially wasn't so big, but, you know, over the long term, we were getting like, you know, 30 people a day. We barely fit people into the room. Um, and so it was, it's, it's, you know, you have to push when you push something and, you know, by for even by force of personality or the word of mouth, you know, eventually you will get that response. Um, but you know, you have to try to do it. So, you yeah. know, whether it's my, my writing or, you know, doing stuff at the library, uh, to engage the community intellectually, aesthetically and otherwise, um, I've tried to push, um, you know, challenging things that, you know, might not be the easiest thing to do, but is the right thing to do. 
So uh, as we start to wind down, um, uh, I'm going to read a few things from uh, promos and such, and then we'll play a song from uh, one of the other songs that you uh, selected. So first of all, Ready for Brooklyn is proud to announce that we've been partially funded to start an after-school program. We're talking a little bit about after-school programs and such for local teenagers in 2019. However, our grant is only to, uh, able to pay for so much. So we still have a long way to go to make sure this dream becomes a reality. The after-school program will allow teens from Brooklyn area uh, to learn about media and uh, using hands-on approach, be guided by local professionals currently working in radio and journalism. Each participant will create their own radio show, which will air and ready for Brooklyn on a new dedicated stream. Pretty exciting stuff. If you'd like to learn more, go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash after school. And remember that all donations to Radio for Brooklyn are tax deductible since RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit community organization. And uh, again, that URL is radioforbrooklyn.org slash after school. Um, so also about the newsletter, uh, sign up for the newsletter, keep updated with new programming, upcoming RFB events, interviews, ticket giveaways, uh, etc. Uh, go to rayfreebrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Um, and remember, you can listen to this uh, program on your on your mobile with uh, uh, the app. You can just uh, search for it in the uh, iPhone store or the Android store, Google Play store, Radio Free Brooklyn, or go to rayfreebrooklyn.org slash iPhone or slash Android. So if you want to give any final plugs, uh, uh, just if you want to give any uh, to your website, to your media, social media and such, uh, sure. I mean, you can Google me, uh, Tejas Desai, Tejas Desai Novelist, uh, T-E-J-A-S-D-E-S-A-I. My main website is T-E-J-A-S-D-E-S-A-I, Tejas-Desai.com. Uh, you know, you can follow me on Facebook. I have several Facebook pages, but my, my the best way to follow me is through my, through my primary personal Facebook page, which you can easily find by Googling it or going on the website. Um, and, uh, you know, I have an Amazon page, you know, I've got and that's where we can page. buy your books. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, uh, the brotherhood, the second edition is only two ninety nine uh, as an ebook. Um, and so you can easily, uh, buy that and, and, and read, uh, not only the book, but the additional features and, and get into the world of the brotherhood and, you know, prepare yourself for the second book, which hopefully will be out in one year. Okay, and Claire, you had uh, wanted to direct people to... Yeah, I just, uh, if you're interested in doing more writing in Queens, uh, you can check out uh, rockawaywritersworkshop.org. Um, we, I'm trying to build a writing community and uh, love to hear from anybody interested. Yeah, and I can say I've taken some of your classes, uh, and that's how, uh, one of the ways in which we connected. And I think you're a great uh, editor and someone who has a perceptive eye for what's uh, what's going on in people's writings. So I, rec- I highly recommend that people check out your writing classes and go to ra- uh, rockawaywriters.org. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much to Tejas. Uh, we'll play a little bit of, uh, we have like two more minutes. I'll play a little bit of the One False Move um, so that we get a little sense of the orchestral uh, as we start to pull out, uh, uh, start to go out. Um, and uh, this movie you said was an influence on you. One false move. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 deal is it's set in the South, and you know, um, it deals with runaway criminals and how they kind of intersect with with a cop. But it deals with a lot of ra- uh, racial and moral elements uh, that kind of collide, and and uh, you know, that's, it was, it's a very powerful film. Um, and uh, you know, I hope you'll check that out. Also, if you, if you get a chance, um, yeah. Good, good. And I highly recommend people check out your work and uh, and uh, definitely uh, send feedback and such. And 
spread the word, spread the word about it so that we can have a, a real literary movement, you know? And we'll be talking more um, coming up about VJ's own self-publishing projects. Yeah, yeah, To yeah, be announced. <laughs> yeah, you can go to uh, VJRNathan.com to find out about Celebrity Sadhana or How to Meditate with a Hammer, which is a cel- uh, celebrity-inspired collection coming out in uh, mid-October probably. So we'll probably we'll circle back to that. But for now, we'll end with uh, the Elton John song, uh, I'm Still Standing. This has been Ready for Brooklyn, uh, Truth to Power, the Truth to Power show. Thank you. Cut me down.